Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Be Customer Led. This is your host, Bill Stakos. I have another special guest for you all this week. Gal Oran is the CEO of ZoomIn. Now, ZoomIn is a really, really cool company that we're going to hear from Gal specifically, but it unlocks your product content's true potential and transforms your customer's experience with a comprehensive, dynamic publishing solution and analytics platform. It's something like I've never seen before. So as soon as I saw it, I was like, I've got to have Gal on the show. And Gal, thank you so much for being a guest on Be Customer Led. So excited to have you here. Bill, it's great to be here. And thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So Gal, we ask every guest on the show, tell us about your journey. And you have a really interesting journey from the last time we spoke. And I just would love for you to share it with our guests and how that kind of led into Zoom In. Okay, great. So first of all, I'm... I'm based in New York right now. I grew up in Israel. So I'm sure that some part of the audience have been there and part of not, I strongly recommend you visiting there. Grew up serving in, in the military as, as, a, as an Air Force pilot for quite a few years. And then like many of the other Israelis started in tech, initially from more of a customer facing roles, and, but the technical roles of pre-sales and QA, which is where I think I, I devote a lot of where I am today to, to those initial roles. Mm. I really loved being with customers, talking to customers, and being in front of, of customers. So most of my positions were very much customer-facing roles and always being involved around enterprise software. And spent a lot of time here in, in the U.S., in New York throughout the years. And um, five years ago, or a little bit more than five years ago, realized that my next big thing is going to be around this overload of information that we're all experiencing and specific around content. And that's when we started the Zoom in and we'll probably elaborate on this a little bit later. Yeah. And I always ask, I always like to ask founders to, to these two questions and I would just love your view on it. Gal, what problem were you seeing specifically around content and documentation is a big part of that. Were you seeing in the world that led you to start Zoom in? And then I love this question because some of the names of companies are just so amazing, but how did you choose the name of the company? Yeah, <laughs> it's two good questions that I think relate to one another. So uh, I'll start with the pain, and the pain is, in my opinion, very simple. As I say, even my parents understand the pain that we, that we solve. It's, it's not that complicated. And it's around companies creating great products, great features, great UX, great modules, great, everything is great. But it's not enough for the customer. So, so around this great product, companies are creating a whole world of information so customer can know how to use the, the product to the greatest potential. And, and what we saw in the market is that companies are creating this whole world of information, but Bill, as a customer of DocuSign or McAfee mm -hmm. or Avaya or all of our other customers, whenever, however you're engaging with that, it, it's just the experience is just not good enough. And then you go home. And, and you watch Netflix or you buy an Amazon or you order an Uber. And that gap of Bill being a consumer at home and enjoying your life and then going to work and needing to find yourself in those enterprise products, that gap is too big. 
And we wanted to close this gap uh, by providing much better experience around how people interact with technical content, with manuals, guides, training materials, knowledge articles, community discussions, support tickets. That's, in general, that's the gap that we saw. And we, had a, we assumed at the time, we had a part of this, that the, one, we can help end users like Bill and provide them really stellar end user experience, re- really like Netflix, just as we're having at home. We believe that we can provide that stellar end user experience. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to provide build that great experience, those companies, it's going to help them in the areas of reduction of support costs, higher NPS, more sales. I mean, we can actually monetize that thing. 100%. And, and, and that's how we started this. And, and another layer, which was very important from the beginning, and, but we didn't know at the time if it's going to work or not, we said, if there is so much consumption of technical content, there is so much data around this, I'm sure there is a lot of interesting stuff you can learn from just collecting the data around this. So that was the original pain, and it relates to the name of the company. The idea was not about zooming in. The idea was zooming. We're going to do it all fast and simple, and we're going to allow Bill to go smoothly through all those obstacles and this frustration and make it very, very easy and fast for for everyone. That was the name around, that was the background around the name, zooming. And yeah, and later we'll talk about a few years after what we, our, our assumptions, do they, were they right or not? But that's, that was the initial pain that we saw. Well, I, I, let's talk about that now. I mean, just kind of you, you now, you've built this really great company. You have a great product. You've got analytics around it as well, just so your clients can get smarter about what their end consumers or end customers are looking at and how they're consuming. Tell us a little bit about sort of the, maybe early stages and starting up and then kind of now transitioning to where you are and you're and, and the company's doing so much great stuff, particularly around the CX community as well. I mean, it sounds like you guys are really coming at this from a broader end end to end journey perspective, but really coming in in one part of that journey too. Yeah. So it's a good question. I'm going to surface some things that are, we're not working the way we thought it's going to work, but in a positive way. <laughs> so the big thing that we thought about in the beginning is about monetization and analytics and our ability to provide actionable insights to companies around how their people consume that technical content. That was the big thing. We thought it has a big dollar sign over it and big value to big companies. And that was the big thing that we wanted to start with. But initially we said, let's, in order to get data, interesting data around, we have to deliver that content so we can start collecting data. Once we started delivering that, that, that content and that experience, we realized that that's where the big pain is, that customers are suffering customers are suffering and companies are just desperate to improve that experience. So the first few years were all around how to take existing content that companies have, manuals, guides, and bring it all into one place and deliver it to Bill in all those different disparate places that you're looking for it, in a website, in a portal, mm-hmm. in a support site, in, a, in product, in the call center, to provide you really stellar end user experience. That was the, the beginning, and that's what we did uh, in the first few years. And then realizing the value that, that companies see from it, from reduction in support costs and higher NPS and more leads and all kind of very, a lot of very, very important KPIs that are improved from just delivering that, that stellar or Netflix-like experience around the technical content. 
So the whole monetization aspect and actionable insight aspect that was from day one, the big thing, we got to it a few years later mm-hmm. than what we wanted. Now it's, it's very much part of what, what we do, but we got to it a few years after when we wanted to start with it. But as I said, I think it was a, for a good reason because we just identified that the pain was a little bit in a different place than what we initially anticipated. Right. Well, look, I mean, at least you were able to pivot quickly and then created sort of the space for you then to obviously create that monetization, right, over time. Yeah. How have, have you seen maybe the technical content, documentation, particularly for B2B clients, Gal, how are you seeing them consume content differently since maybe starting Zoom in? Because technical documentation is what it is, but there's also different ways to surface that. How are companies thinking differently about that type of content and, and delivering it? And then how, and then you on the front end kind of surfacing that for their clients too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good question. And there's a few aspects to the, to the answer here. I'll start with the broader thing of what companies and how many companies are actually using technical content mm-hmm. or having technical content. And that's probably the biggest thing that happened to, to that industry. Every company now is a tech company, whether you're a software company a bank. Or, a hard, or a bank or a hardware company. We have, I'm not allowed to give the names. I'm one of the two big burger companies in the world. Okay. okay? <laughs> one of our customers. Okay. It, it, it's not technical content, right? But they have a lot of franchises and every day they send tons of operating manuals and menus that require authorizations and personalization. And then exactly the same pain as the customer that I mentioned in DocuSign mm-hmm. or McAfee or Avaya or all the other ones. And you mentioned banks, a technology company. We also have some of, one of the biggest credit card companies in the world, okay? Sounds like they create credit, but it's a technology company. Yeah. And when you're a technology company, you create products. And around this product, you create tons of content with APIs and API documentation and manuals and guides, and then customers start using it, and you have knowledge articles, and you create communities. Every company today, almost every company, if you ask yourself which company does it, you're not going to get a lot of companies without yeah. technical company. And that basically makes that pain that we're dealing with applicable to almost every company that you know. And now when you dive into every specific company, the more technical the product is, the more traffic is around technical information. And uh, the most surprising figure, I mean, we anticipated there is a big industry here, there is a lot of traffic, but we didn't know how big it is. And what we see today is that on average, for almost every company that is tech-related, 70% of the traffic is around product information, around manuals and guides and training materials. So why, and why is that? Because if you think about, let's take the last part of the customer journey, onboarding, support, it's all technical, obviously. Mm-hmm. But even when you buy a technical product, the statistics like to say 90% of the buyers go through technical information before they buy an enterprise product. So marketing and sales is also very, very technical. I mean, nothing against the marketing people that make our life much easier, but when you buy, it's not about the marketing fluff. You, you, it's very, very technical. So what's happening is you have an asset that every company has it and a lot of it. Let's say it takes around 70% of your traffic. It has a huge impact on your customer, huge impact on churn, on upsells, mm-hmm. on cross sales, mm-hmm. on a lot of huge impact on your customer, but still not being perceived as a strategic asset. And some companies just 
they put it somewhere and they they hope for well. And and we're changing that all that because we see the impact that it makes on uh, on customers. So I'm, I want to talk to to you a minute about that. Just and I want to really focus in on the word that you use very specifically, the word asset. So today, it does not feel like a lot of companies look at their content, and I'm not. I don't mean like marketing content on social media. I mean like content, like technical documentation or other content. Similarly, they don't view it as an asset, but it absolutely it is right. And to your point it can make or break a relationship. If I can't find what I'm looking for to use this product in an effective way, particularly in a B2B space, right? I'm just going to go look elsewhere. Why do you think that is? Why is there been more focus maybe on the product development, on the marketing side, and not really viewed? It's almost viewed as an afterthought. Like we're going to produce this and they're going to use it and then we're done, right? Is it because the solutions like yours haven't been there to be able to help people think differently about it? Is it because it was t- traditionally not thought of as part of the journey for a customer? Like, I'd, I'd be curious to have your perspective there. Yeah. So I, I think that it's, I think people are right because it's true. I, I completely agree with you that it wasn't perceived as a strategic asset okay, or, or an asset in general. Yeah. yeah. And the reason for this, I, I don't think companies were able to put a real ROI element around this to, to show how, is more content, how does more content impact my actual bottom line of mm. more sales, how, less churn? Where do I know specifically that because my content is not built well or is not consolidated or is not being delivered in a great, in a great way, where does it get built stuck in the customer journey? And mm-hmm. there weren't enough, there wasn't enough technology and there wasn't enough focus on showing exactly the relation between this and real business KPIs that matter to people in companies and especially to C-level people. So that's one big thing. And the other big thing that happened, and, and I think it's only became bigger and bigger over the last uh, two years with COVID, we got used to standards as consumers. Okay, as cons- We're just not going to settle for less than this. Just like you're not going to watch videos with experience, which is not as good as Netflix and you don't like buying in in terrible experience as Amazon. That's what we're used to now as consumers. Mm -hmm. And we're not okay anymore with suffering and work and being okay at home, okay? Just like we don't want to talk to anyone at home when we have an issue, we don't want to talk to anyone at work when when we have an issue. So this gap between, as I said, Bill is a consumer at home and at work. Bill is not okay anymore with that gap. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then... And it goes to, your, to the companies you're working with and, and, and it forces them to, to do something. And then, by the way, in many ways, it makes like our life easy because we're basically trying to replicate what the consumer world is already having and just bringing it to the, to the B2B world. But, yeah, but that's I, what we're trying to get to. I, I think that from, in the B2B context, Gal, I think that that is something I'd say over the last couple of years, maybe even pre-COVID, I would even say, but has not traditionally been sort of the mindset. I think now more, obviously more and more B2B companies are starting to realize that their buyers or their consumers, sort of the B2B companies that they're selling, the businesses that they're selling to, no longer want that gap between what I can experience on using my Apple TV remote, how simple that might be to something that, why make it complex for me in a business setting? One of the features that I really, I love about ZoomIn's platform, particularly as a former CX leader myself, 
is the insights that you guys provide and deliver to clients to identify where there is friction in the product experience and complexity in product content. Talk to our listeners about that. And you mentioned at the top of the show a little bit, but talk to our listeners about this feature and why was it important in the context of the overall product offering? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a, overall, we're talking here about a, a big ecosystem of many, many sources of, to create and, and manage content, and then many, many places where customers are consuming that, that content. Mm-hmm. It's a big ecosystem with tons of traffic. And as I said, in those 70% of the traffic, that's in general, that's the average. And relating it to your second question, if this is not being perceived as a strategic asset and you're, you're not collecting this data, you're basically blind spotted to 70% of what's happening with your customers. Okay? That's a lot, of, a lot of stuff that you're just not, not being aware of. And um, things like where does Bill spend most of his time around the customer journey? Where does he get stuck? And as you said before, if you get stuck today, you can move to another company very, very easily. I mean, because you think you can resolve everything by yourself. If this company doesn't allow you the ability to, to resolve things yourself, I'll go for, look for somewhere else. Sure. So where does Bill get stuck in the customer journey? Which features and areas in the products are not working or are working? How can I put a dollar figure around case deflection? Because I know that the content is there. I mean, by the way, all the content is there, but they're still not finding it. Maybe I'm not investing. Maybe I'm not delivering right. Maybe I'm not investing in the right pieces of content. We know for a fact there are pieces of content for companies that no one read the last 15 years, okay? <laughs> and they're still updating it. And it's there's, a cost. And there's a cost, right? I mean, you're talking about, yeah. So this freshness of content. And wh- when is built, I mean, if you think about technical content, who is consuming it? I mean, people don't just browse Google for, and download manual for fun, right? Most people, okay? <laughs> technical content is a, very, is a big qualifier of who is, who is using it. It's either customers or prospects. These are the, this is a, probably the most qualified audience a company has. That's the audience you can sell more to. You do more upsells and cross-sells, and that's the audience you can very easily lose if you're not going to give them great experience. These are all things that they, by collecting data and understanding what led Bill to open a ticket, what led Bill to call the call center, what led Bill to buy something, these are all kind of insights that can actually drive more business to a company, and they're very, very, very appealing to C-level. I'm telling you as a CEO, sure. someone here in the company would tell me, Gal, you want to know more stuff about our customers? I'm not going to say, no, I don't care. Of course, bring it, bring it in. So in essence, we identified here an, a- an asset that was completely overlooked, but can drive very, very smart insights. And, and to your previous question about experience, and I think companies and, and C-level people realize today, it used to be about pricing and features, and, and now it's about the heart of the customer. Mm. And, and, and we're trying to provide a lot of insights about how to get to, to, to the heart of the customer. Mm. And maybe a question to you as, as, a, as a CX leader, yeah. how do you see the, that transition from CX being perceived as a, I would say, as a nice to have thing to something that companies should say, I mean, it, it's all about this. The rest of the stuff can... So, so I want to answer your question in two ways. One, I want to answer it in terms of the product, the platform, and the certain in, in, that you've created and delivered. Two, I'll answer your question from how maybe the, the perception of CX and businesses. So, one, as a former CX leader working at Freddie Mac, right? It's a massive organization at the front end of the mortgage space. 
they've got credit policy, like thousands and thousands of pages of credit policy that underwriters and other people at banks will go to, to understand, is Freddie Mac going to buy this loan from me, Chase, right? I'd have to go to like the call center documents and say, okay, help me understand and figure out through text analytics, what is, what policies are causing the most pain, right? And then maybe I can figure out, like, I actually thought like when I first came up, came in, was introduced to, to, to Zoom in, I was like, gosh, this would have been a great product to have for us to look at. It's not technical documentation like we're a software company, but it's technical documentation from a credit and a lending perspective, right? Yeah. I'm like, it would have been really powerful to actually to have that software. So if Freddie Mac is not a client, there's a great prospect for you and your company. Yeah. But to help us understand, one, how are people using that credit policy? Where are they kind of stumbling, where else in sort of the ecosystem of content and materials that they're going to look for, how does this all fit in and where, where, what's working and what's not? I think that it really would have opened up the eyes for our legal team, for our marketing organization, for our operations folks, certainly the contact center as well, how to talk maybe better where you can find different content or better information and probably help, probably would have helped the company kind of shed some of the stuff that no one was going to anyway, right? And there's a cost savings there. So yeah, by the way, on this, I just want to make you feel a little bit better with yourself. A few years ago, technology-wise, it wasn't really possible, that thing. It's, when people consumed mostly PDFs, mm. it, 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 it could have been much more higher level. I mean, sure. because all, all we can know is yeah, build, download, and a PDF, a PDF and, and that's what we know. Now we can tell exactly how many seconds he spends on each paragraph and each word, each page. It's the level of, the, of granularity is much, much smaller. And now, I don't want to make this too technical here, but the move in, in creating content to more of XML mm-hmm. changed, completely changed the, our availability to dive deeper into, and to understand the, per, the behavior of, of, of end users in a much, much more granular way that wasn't available five or 10 years ago. That wasn't possible. Yeah, but I was in this role a year ago. So... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that was, <laughs> so, that was available then. Anyway, we'll take yeah. that one offline. I'm, I'm happy to make some introductions <laughs> to folks over there. But, but your other question around like how is CX being perceived, I think, in organizations, I think that there's customer experiences at a really interesting inflection point right now, Gal, I think. One, a lot of customer experience teams, and, and given my role at Medallia, I get to talk to a lot of different teams. There are a lot of teams in this VOC, customer satisfaction, NPS kind of lane, right? Producing reports, giving those executive leadership reports and getting them out onto the business. And I think a lot of teams are there. My guess is probably between 40 and 50% teams, that's kind of what they're doing. And that's how they're defining customer experience. When I've defined customer experience, and I've left big companies because it was too siloed, you really have got to bring together the VOC, you know, voice of the customer and the insights and the analytics is a really important component to that. But once you start to bring design under that same roof, and once you start to bring change management under that same roof, you start to get this really great flow of impact. So your, your insights teams are giving these insights to the design teams. The design teams are working with your product developers, employing design thinking and human-centered design to put into the agile process. And developers have this stuff. They're going through not scrums anymore, but they're going through design thinking workshops 
creating incredibly rich and powerful user stories, right? Cuts down technical debt, improves the product experience. They see the metrics. That you're, not, you're doing rote work all day, but all of a sudden now you see the impact of the customer. And then you've got change management following up to say, here's culturally how we can use all this to drive change and really start to get people thinking about the customer in the organization. When I see and I, a lot of banks, a lot of retail companies, you name it, across every vertical. When I see just a team focused on VOC or insights, I'm like, this company is not from a, an experiential perspective, is going to get very far, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I really do try and counsel these organizations to bring together other functions and disciplines in a way that helps that business not only create more awareness around what's happening from a customer perspective, but also employ teams that drive real business outcomes on this stuff. Yeah. It's one thing to just say, okay, here's the insight. I'm going to give it to a banker and the banker is going to call the customer who isn't happy through a survey and I'm going to I'll close the loop. That's easy. That's important work. It's foundational. But the real magic starts to happen when you're starting to put this information in the hands of other people in the business that are really creating for the company. And they're yeah, using that as a foundational basis to create. And I think that's, there's an inflection point there that I think a lot of organizations are grappling with. And when I talk to some CEOs and they're like, I'm not getting the value out of my CX team. And I say, well, what are you getting? They're like, well, I get reports from them every month. I'm like, well, there's the one mistake, right? Yeah. This isn't just about reporting. So that, I hope that answers your question. But I think yeah. that to me is one of the biggest differences. Yeah, by the way, we see it. I, I don't know if you, we have this uh, community that we started for CX people called Flourish. Yeah. yeah. And as, uh, Flourish is, we didn't know exactly where it's going to go. Like, as a, it seemed like a common theme for in my story that we don't always know where it's going to go. And we actually treat everything like an MVP in our company. Okay. Test and learn, right? Yeah. And it became something very amazing. I mean, it, it's CX executives. And obviously, there is, a, there is other CX communities. That's a community that basically meets once every month, okay, in a very intimate way. Mm -hmm. and, and we found this to be very useful. It's very, it's very multidisciplinary. We talk about CX challenges. They feel, they feel very, very comfortable sharing and being vulnerable with one another. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's an industry that's been built over the last few years. So a lot of the challenges are exactly what you're describing now, how to take this and, and put to more business and ROI on this and not just a nice to have thing. And it, yeah, we, we see it a lot in those discussions. I learn a lot from those discussions that we have in Flourish. So I see, when I think about the company, Gal, I see a really clear connection to someone who is heading up CX or a CXO, maybe chief customer officer. Why invest in the CX community specifically? Because it feels like maybe the COO might be more of sort of the buyer for you guys, or maybe the head of marketing. What was it about the CX community that you saw something there and you're like, hey, let's start up this, this platform and bring people together? I'm curious. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, we feel like the CX people, eventually we're helping, we're helping their end users, okay? And, and CX people are primarily thinking about the, about the end users of their companies. Mm -hmm. And we... We came here with, with, as you said, with an asset that they didn't even think that has impact on end users. And we thought, initially, we thought that's what we want to, these are the people we wanted. Are we really making their life easier? And then when we started talking to them, we just realized that there is a group of people here who need like a, 
group help here and then <laughs> group uh, therapy together including us and and we felt like this is a a group of people that are growing building their roles and can teach a lot uh, one another and then and then our product is very much around the experience to, to yeah. those end users so yeah is is the community open and is it just an open can anybody join that flourish yeah anyone anyone can join we we, we control it we want to keep it very intimate and and high level so it's like very i would say boutique but anyone can join this it's and i strongly recommend and we can provide uh, we can provide the link and yeah it's, absolutely it's, and it's primarily ahead, cx people it's primarily cx people also some cs people customer mm-hmm. success people but that's primarily yeah the audience very cool before we wrap up i'll make sure we get the the site and you can go to the community off of your company's website, but also we'll put in the show notes as well. I've got a couple more questions for you if that's if if I got sure. a little bit more time with you. So where do you see all this going? Like the just the 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 curation of technical content, accessibility, how do you see that evolving? Yeah, it's a good question. First of all, I think there is gonna be a lot more of the realization of the value around technical content. It's gonna be much more m- measurable in ROI and and people are not just create, going to create content and put it somewhere and hope for good or not hope for good, just do it because of compliance purposes. There is going to be a big element of clear ROI on this. And when it started from knowledge people and content people and support people, it's going to be more and more the C-level people mm. who are going to deal with it. And, it. and it relates to the other point that I see as a big trend. It's going to have a big impact on marketing. We already see now that technical content plays a big part in <clears throat> I'm sorry, in reduction of support costs and, and other ways. So it's going to be more and more around not just saving costs, but making more money for the, the organization. So if technical content use has been a lot around saving costs, around support costs and, 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 and improving experience, we see it more and more getting into what I see higher in the pyramid, which is driving revenue and business to, to mm-hmm. companies, which for me is, is more marketing and more upsells and cross-sells, meaning more and more sales, mm-hmm. and specifically marketing. I think that technical content, because of the issue that I mentioned before, attracting the most qualified audience a company has, this can drive a lot of leads and a lot of marketing. For And then and, and companies see more and more technical content as a key driver for, for more leads. Just imagine the amount of, of, of pages that, that you have in terms of technical content. Without mentioning names of companies here, one of our medium-sized companies, we're hosting for, hosting for them 500,000 HTML pages. <laughs> and add, if you consider the juice that it adds to Google sure. and, and how, quality, how much quality there is in that content, so we see more and more marketing people saying, how can this drive more leads to the top of the funnel? And, and the results are amazing, by the way, already. So we're seeing this is going to become more and more. And we think that they, in our case, the marketing people are going to become more and more the driver of the of the content world and the technical content world, because right now they were a little bit aside of it. They were mostly mm-hmm. around the marketing content, and, and and they're going to drive a lot of that technical content thing, the marketing. Yeah, I mean that's why my question about the community, right? And just start a CMO community next. I mean, I, you guys are doing really well with the uh, with Flourish. Gal, I've got two more questions for you. From a business perspective, who do you look up to? Do you have any folks that are that that you look up to as like great business leaders? So I really get inspiration for I read a lot, I, I learn a lot, and from business people and non-business people. Mm-hmm. 
from business people, I, I, there's two areas that I, I get a lot from Netflix, from the Netflix people and the, Net, mm-hmm. and the Netflix CEO. Read, yeah. It, read around culture, around the no rules, rules of, of Netflix, of treating people as responsible adults. The other person that I learn a lot from is Frank Slutman. Frank Slutman was the CEO of ServiceNow, mm-hmm. now Snowflake. And this whole amp it up approach that's built on very, very high standard, speed and focus, that triangle of those th- three things drive a lot of how I think, I think about business and drives a lot about how we operate in our company. So these are like two business people that I, I look after, I read a lot, I learn from them. They're also non-business people that I learn a lot from, but these are the business people that I'm. Where, where do you go for for inspiration generally? Do you have places that was it? Is it? Do you work out? Do you read books? Where do you get most of your inspiration from generally? So, uh, from many many areas and very different areas, I, I read a lot of the business things and non-business things, and whether it's a religious stuff that I learn from, and a lot from sports analogies. To be honest, I I believe that the company. While you, you start, when you start a company, you're thinking about it almost like a family. Over time, you think more like a sports team. <laughs> and a sports team that is about winning a championship is about working as a team that by yourself, you're not going to be able to win championships. It's about having a coach that, that, that helps everyone gets better. Yeah, sometimes you also need to replace some people and, and bring better, better team players to, sure. to the team. So whether it's the last dance of Jordan that... I learned a lot from, or in the last year or so, I, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but became a huge fan of Formula One, for example. I don't know yeah. if you, see you saw the Netflix series about, Netflix, yeah. about Formula One. I actually just gave our leadership team kind of lessons, my lessons learned from Formula One, which is very interesting in my opinion. If you want, I can, some of the things are, one, you have one person that you have like 300 people behind that behind. person who... Behind and, and even us, we have a salespeople or a project manager who is in front of the customers. And you have so many people around that, hundreds of people in our company who are behind. And all they do is so that person can jump on a call and that customer success person can jump on a call. Teamwork and how they work the engine throughout the year. That's exactly an MVP. You start the engine, but it's not the same engine that you have at the end of the year. You work the engine every day and every day. And, and the pit stop used to take to a pit stop 50 seconds on average in the 90s. Now I saw that the, the record is 2.5 seconds. Yeah. That's about so many learn you can so many things you can learn from sports analogy. So yeah. I think F1, I don't I, it's it's unfortunate. I, at least in the US. I mean internationally F1 is really big obviously. In the US not as big, but I think that's also changing. But there are really incredible analogies to that sport and business and just the constant tweaking and refining to your point the the engine and the car even even the team on January 1 versus race day is just fun, is almost fundamentally different in many ways right because they're cutting little corners they're tweaking this they're getting maybe new trying to think about new 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 ways of looking at data and metrics to better to yeah. better think about how to how to tune and position the car better it really is a sport that has invested a lot in science, frankly, right. well, relative to what they even had access to even 10 years ago. But it's a fantastic sport and it's exhilarating. So, and I love, I love uh, the stuff that Netflix is putting out there. Gal, where, where can people find you, the company, if they want to get in touch? 
Yeah, so zoominsoftware.com, that's our website. You can find a lot of information about the company, what we do, case studies, and get in contact with us. And we'll be happy to have you guys join our community. The Flourish is very interesting. I would strongly recommend you guys trying it out. Yeah, and you can get to the Flourish community off the website. And Gal, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's such a pleasure, one, to see you again, but even more so to have you have you join us and, and share some knowledge with our listeners today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bill. And by the way, I'll send you some pictures from the Formula One race in Miami. I'm going there next week. Next oh, week. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> All right, everybody. That's right, another great week. We're out. Bye. Bye. Talk to you soon, Thanks everyone. for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.